Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business Podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Hey there, thanks for the download today. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Today's episode, I have a conversation with Bethann Chronic. She is the owner and CEO of Simplify Northwest. She is nationally recognized productivity strategist. She's an author and a trainer working to empower people. She helps them learn new habits and behavior so their life reflects what's truly important to them, which is the things that they do with their time. And so our focus for today's conversation is on time management. We jump around a lot in today's episode, and it's partly because I've read a ton of books on time management. I have a lot of thoughts on it. I'm personally working on how to get the most out of my time and get better at it. And she's got a lot of amazing presentations that are available. Some of the titles such as Be the Boss of Your Email, Meetings That Matter, Take Control of Your Time and Get More Out of Life. And she's got much more. And we'll link to those in the show notes. But for today's episode, Beth Ann and I, we're going to talk about work and life and everything in between. Without further ado, here's the episode with Beth Ann. Hey, Beth Ann. Great to have you in the podcast. Welcome. Good morning, Brandon. Happy to be here. So I wanted to ask you, how did you get into this field? Why time management? Time management. Oh my gosh, it's such a needed field. My background is in education. I actually have a master's degree in teaching people who are blind and visually impaired. So what does that have to do with time management, you ask? I had a change in life and decided that it was time to do something that could make a big difference for people. And as I surveyed my interests and my passions, they have always been teaching. And I was looking at what the world needed, and it's clearly productivity and helping people make better choices with what they do with their time and how they work and be more successful and have happier lives. And so I had a little change of pace and delved into the world of productivity and organization because it meets my needs of helping and teaching now busy adults get things done in their lives. I think a lot of people share your passion on, either on the giving or receiving and time management is just one of those those things where you could just never quite master and so you need people like yourself to help kind of guide us along the way. You know, I've read I've read a book and I think I've read tons of blog posts about just how productive people tend to start their day, are really successful. Of all the routines that you've kind of run across about how to start a morning, how do you recommend people start? Well, having a plan is critical. Planning, I think, is one of the absolute most important things we can do to get to the end of the day and feel like you actually got things done. And beyond that, not just getting things done, but getting the right things done. So planning, whether you plan the night before for the following day or whether you come in fresh and plan for the day ahead, but having that plan. And then one of the strategies that I espouse is when you're thinking of your plan, being able to prioritize 
prioritize. And there's lots of different ways that we can prioritize, but a really simple one is asking yourself this question, and it's really easy and will get your day going so well, is what three musts do I need to get done to feel good at the end of the day? So again, what three things do I need to get done to feel good at the end of the day so that you are defining three things that are the most important things because it can be so easy just to feel swamped by those major to-do lists and our inboxes and all those things. But what are the three most critical things? And then make that your roadmap. Write those things down. Put them on a sticky note. Stick it on your computer. Put it in your calendar. But use that as your focus for the day so that every time somebody comes in and asks you to do something that really isn't important or you see a squirrel and you start heading down a rabbit trail, if it's not on that list of three things, you're doing the wrong thing. I love that. So when you talk about planning, it obviously plays a big role in in managing your time and and really taking control of it. Yes. You said you could wake up and really plan your day or you could do it before. Like, What do you tend to see people doing as far as planning? Do they do it throughout the day? Is it just one time? Well, depending on what people do and how much information is coming at them during the day, sometimes people can create a plan for the day, stick with it, and proceed through their whole day. Other people who, again, depending on what their role is, what their industry is, may need to reset several times during the day. But the key is just making it a priority. You've probably, well, I don't know if you've seen it, but I see it all the time. People who don't make a plan, they go willy-nilly through the day and they waste so much time because they finish one thing and then it takes them 10 to 15 minutes to look around their office, to go into their inbox, look at their calendar and say, hmm, what should I do next? And if you have a plan for the day, then it's like boom, boom, boom. You just deal with what's next. I like to equate not having a plan for your day to going on a road trip without a map, which can sometimes be really fun because you know where you start. You don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know how you're going to get there, what you're going to see in between. And that can be really, really fun to do. But at work during our day, we have goals to meet and we have projects to finish We can't afford to go willy-nilly through the day and just end up where we're going to get, go where we want to go to. We've got to have a map. And that's where those three musts can be your roadmap. I'm glad you brought up the mapping piece because I really wanted to ask you about scheduling your day in general. So I imagine you use some sort of calendar function, maybe use a handwritten planner. I don't know what you do and what you recommend, but how do you recommend if you have meetings, you plan that? Do you plan time in between meetings? What does your calendar look like and what do you recommend people do? Well, first of all, figuring out what type of calendar is going to work for everyone. It's a really individual thing. I know personally I use a combination of a paper calendar and my Outlook calendar. I still am one of those people I like to see a full month at a time. So I use my paper calendar for that, but I use my Outlook calendar for scheduling individual appointments and for scheduling blocks of time. So figuring out what works for you is really important. And then once you know what works, I recommend time blocking, which is scheduling blocks of time, batching like activities together so that you're not 
jumping around from one thing to the next. Obviously, meetings get planned at those specific times, but then having times where you're actually doing your email, having project times, batching activities as much as you can together, having a planning time that you actually put on your calendar. One of the things I always encourage people to think about is in batching those times and blocking those times on the calendar, it's really easy to say, okay, from 9 to 10, I'm going to do this. 10 to 11, I'm going to do this. And then 11 to 12, I have a meeting and and just wham, bam, blocking things together (laughs) back to back. And it's like, okay, how realistic is that? Because we have those unexpected things that come up, those needs that we weren't anticipating that we've got to leave room in our calendars for those kinds of things. Otherwise, we completely defeat ourselves. You get to lunchtime and you think, I didn't get any of those things done that I had on my calendar because we were unrealistic. I'm glad you brought that up. So I often have found that I don't do this anymore, but people would schedule meetings back to back. It may be in the same office, but let's yeah. say they have a meeting from 9 to 10, but then they have a meeting from 10 to 11. And it, right. let's say the meeting goes over by a minute and then you're <laughs> you're backing yourself into a wall and you didn't leave yourself any buffer time. Right. Do you schedule buffer time like in between just maybe checking the phone real quick or checking email in between or just being able to get from point A to point B? Yes, absolutely. There's a number of things and I, one of the things I love talking about is meetings because we're so over meeting and meeting yeah. out in most company cultures and it's really hard when people schedule back-to-back meetings because it doesn't allow, like you said, it doesn't allow for those meetings that run over. It doesn't allow for us to make that transition in our minds so that if you fly from one meeting to the next, the first 15 minutes of that next meeting, you're going to be thinking about the meeting you just came from, yep. as well as the to-do list that you came out of that meeting with. So yes, having that time in between, whether it's 15 minutes, half an hour, where you can come back to your desk. The most important thing that I think using that time for is to say, okay, how do I need to debrief from that meeting myself? What action items did I come out of? Be able to put those on your to-do list or your calendar, manage those things so that then you can transition to the next thing, get your mind in the game for what's next and feel like, okay, I have closure from that first meeting. It's a matter of calendar management as much as possible. And granted, it's not always doable, and especially for those organizations where calendars are shared, and people will go in and say, oh, they've got a meeting till 11, I'm going to block one after that. It's not always doable, but as much as when those meetings show up on your calendar to then go in and block a chunk of time before and after is great. Something I've been doing a lot lately is I will, let's say, work a half day in the office Uh where I know people can find me. I have meetings. I'm working on things here, but I don't mind people finding me and interrupting me. And then the other half of the day, I will block out out of office, working at home, and I will, you know, label it as such in my Outlook calendar. And so people know that I'm away and they don't know necessarily what I'm working on, but it's heads down time for me in working Uh on projects, to your point, chunking similar tasks together uninterrupted. Yes. Do you see people do that? And do you recommend that? Highly, highly recommend it. I don't see enough people doing it. You know, dealing with interruptions between meetings and email. Interruptions, to me, those three things are the top 
three issues that we work with productivity-wise during our day and, and getting away from the office. Or, you know, some people say, well, my company won't let us leave. Okay, find a conference room where you can go hole up so that people can't necessarily find you, but you can have that uninterrupted time where you can be so much more focused than sitting at your desk, especially if you work in a cubicle. Find a different place to work. So that's a great idea, Brandon, and I bet you're so productive during that time. Absolutely. I I love it because what happens is, and I think most people would default to this, that everything becomes urgent for right. everybody else. Right. And it could take over your calendar. And if you don't schedule out time for yourself to either think or get projects done, then you're just going to be always in that, you know, everybody knows the Stephen Covey's four quadrants. You're right. always in that top left corner, the, the urgent. Right. You know, maybe it's yep. important for somebody else and maybe even you, but you're always fighting fires. And that's right. not a, it doesn't feel good to be there. No, it doesn't. It's stressful and you don't feel like you're getting anything done. The thing I really like, Brennan, about the approach that you take and about people knowing that they're going to escape to a conference room or working at home or something like that is we work so much anymore in a collaborative environment. So we've got to be available for our peers, for our colleagues, or the people that we supervise to be there. If you know, for instance, you with your afternoons at at home working, if you know you're going to have that time, it's so much easier to say, sure, what do you need? How can I help you? Because you know you've got that protected time coming up in your day. You don't have that panic of, oh, well, if I help you, when am I going to get my own stuff done? So that's such a great, great approach. I appreciate that. So we talked about planning, chunking. We could talk about email for probably an hour is my <laughs> guess. And I bet you, you you have workshops dedicated to just yes. managing email. Yes. But at a real high level, how do you see people managing the email flow? I've heard of people like chunking out at certain times of the day, like maybe checking three times a day. So then you sort of train people that, you know, I'm responding to emails at this time. So maybe they'll just know that you're going to respond at that time. What do you right. What do you tend to see and what do you like people to do? Well, what I see is that email has taken <laughs> control. It comes in. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's taken control of our lives. I had a, a woman who attended a, one of my sessions, and then I did some one-on-one coaching with her a couple of days later. And I walked in her office, and she said, I had the biggest aha during your session the other day. And I said, what was that? And she said, I realized that my email has taken control of me and I want control back. And I'm sure everybody who's listening to this realizes that email's taking control of our lives because we have it at work, we have it on our computers, we have it on our tablets, we have it on our phones. It's everywhere. So anyway, this woman said, I come up with a new mantra and her new mantra was minimize my inbox. She said, I want control back. So that sort of leads to a couple of strategies that I recommend is that you take control back and we can do that by not living in our inboxes all the time, by scheduling, as you said, scheduling set times or I'd like to think of it as a routine for our email. And depending on, again, depending on what people do, their roles, the industries they work in, some people can do 
two or three times a day works great. Other people, if they may be in customer service types of roles, they need to do it more often, potentially once an hour. But deciding, okay, what is that? What's realistic for me? Scheduling that routine as part of how they work their day, letting the people know letting their colleagues know, letting their customers know. know, We check our email once every hour or three times a day. And then a lot of times people say, but people need stuff. And if I don't check it all the time, let people know, you know what? Let the people know that you work with that if they need something in between those times, they can pick up the phone and call you. Or if you work in an office, they can come by your office and say, hey, I need this. And um, because I'm sure... You've probably had those situations where somebody will come by your office and they'll say, did you get that email I just sent a couple minutes ago? Oh, all the time. It drives (laughs) me nuts. So if people know that this is the way I check my email, I'm not in it all the time. So then having sort of a routine for it, but then when you're in your inbox, having a really good process for checking it so that you're not jumping from this one, oh, this one looks like it needs some attention, then you scroll down. No, it needs to be a really solid process. Since we're on the subject, I want to ask you, it's it's kind of a big question. I tend to default to email when I'm communicating. Not only is that a great tool because you can attach files, a good documentation tool, but it's really efficient Mm -hmm. when you're communicating, especially short emails. Mm -hmm. When do you typically go from phone or in-person communication versus email? Because it seems to me that, especially if somebody wants something, uh-huh. you would either you know call somebody or they would walk by and there's so much small talk that mm-hmm. it actually becomes less efficient. But on the other side of it, it's a relationship building tool. Exactly. Being in person and phone. So what what's kind of the rule of thumb when you kind of manage those two ways of communicating? That's a really loaded question, Brandon. That's a loaded question, there's, yeah. there's several things that come to mind as you bring that up. As you say, first of all, our work, it, everything we do, it is about relationship. And there's so much more that we can do when we have good relationships with people. And we do that with our voice. But yes, there are those times when just quick things make so much sense just to fire off those emails. When it comes to there being the value of having a conversation, when there's a back and forth issue, when I think about email, I have what I call the three volley rule. If an email has gone back and forth more than three times trying to get an issue resolved, it's just so much easier to pick up the phone or go talk to somebody face to face. Now, you did bring up the issue of Okay, well, sometimes there can be a lot lot of chit-chat that goes on that we end up spending a lot more time than if we just sent off an email. That, again, comes down to how we manage that time. So that if there is an issue that would be easier to have a discussion about, but you're concerned about that chit-chat, manage it well. Meet with that person or call that person and say, hey, I just have a couple of minutes but I'd really like to talk this thing through. So again, we can manage it well so that we don't end up losing a lot of precious time. 
What's a good way to communicate in email to make it very clear what you're either asking or what you're responding with? I've seen people being really diligent about changing subject uh-huh. lines when an email's forwarded or replying. Just any tips for, for listeners? One of the biggest things, I think, is using the subject line well. I have what I like to call directives or keywords that I start the subject line uh-huh. with that either start with request or reminder, or FYI, or urgent, something so it gives somebody a heads up of, are you asking something? Are you just sharing some information? And then being really concise, but to the point with the rest of your subject line. And then really important, really key, I think, in that subject line is if something's time sensitive, if you need information by Friday for a meeting or a report or something, include that in your subject line. For example, with one of my assistants, I might say request needing workshop materials by Friday, May 19th. So that to me, when I see a, a date, a due date in a subject line, boom, my eyes go to that email really quickly because I know that it's time sensitive. Big question here. What's your take on social media in the workplace? Oh, <laughs> uh, do we have an hour? You knew it was yeah. Coming. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It certainly can be valuable, just like everything else, if it's managed well. And it's critical for companies that use it to promote their businesses and use it for their customer service. But again, it's how you manage it. Because social media, as we all know, we can just get sucked in and you look down and two hours has flown by and just gone away. So it may be the type of thing. I I really encourage people to use timers if they need to, whether it's a timer on your, your phone, just a little handheld timer that you put on your desk that if you say, okay, I've got to do my work on, you know, my Facebook post, set a timer for however much time you think you need and have a start time and a stop time so that you don't get sucked in and your time just goes away. Similar to what you mentioned about email, it's on your phone, it's on Uh your desktop, there's notifications, all sorts of things. That's what I feel like social media has become is where you have apps on your phone and they always push you notifications about, yeah, somebody disliked this photo or somebody commented on a string that you commented on. It's like, really? Like, that's so much noise. Couldn't you just remove the apps from your phone and and tablets? Or if nothing else. Just adjust the notifications so that you're not getting all of those because those are huge interrupters during our day and those pull us back in. Not only do they pull us back in, but those interruptions alone affect our productivity because we stop for a moment, even if it's momentary, to read what that is. And guess what? You lose your train of thought on what it is you were doing. So they just cost us so much time. So any kind of notifications, whether it's social media notifications, the little ghost window that most people get for their email that pops up in that lower yeah. right corner of the screen. I encourage people to turn all of get those it out of there. off. Yeah. Get yeah, rid of yeah, it so that you yeah. can truly put your head down and work. What's your take on multitasking? Because uh-huh. I personally think it's not a time saver. 
it's uh, a great way to, you know, for a lack of a better word, half-ass two things at one time. Yep. Would you love to hear right. thoughts. <laughs> yes, you were you were absolutely right. We don't do anything completely when we're multitasking. And research backs it up so, so well. There's three things research says. Research says that, first of all, it takes longer when we try and do more things at once. We make more mistakes when we do multiple things at once. And the, the third part of research is really interesting. When I share this in front of a group of people, I always get this big groan. But the third thing that it's finding is that people who spend a lot of time multitasking are seeing negative effects on their short-term memories. Wow. Does that explain some things? That makes total sense. I, I, I think my wife's caught me on that a few times where if I'm trying to do something and she's talking to me, I uh -huh. didn't hear, I hear a word she said and yeah. there's the short-term memory going out the window. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's hard because our society has multitasking cranked up to be such a positive attribute. So everybody's expected to do it, but it's such a negative when it comes to being productive and actually doing things well and remembering what you're doing. Even though you think you may be good at it, you're really, really not. Think about the times that you've been juggling two things or have you ever been on the phone and somebody's talking to you and you're thinking, oh, I can just get this email done really quick. Mm, and idea. then you hang up the phone and you think, oh, you know what? I don't remember <laughs> the details of that conversation. So either you have to call that person back because you forgot a couple things and that's terrible. Isn't that every conference call like where yeah. there's five or six people on it and every, you know four of them are yeah. playing with their phone or yeah. doing something else? Yeah, it's incredibly ineffective. So I know lots of people are thinking I'm good at it. But the other thing about multitasking is it's really stressful because physiologically, physiologically, here's the other thing, is that multitasking, it's not possible. Our brains cannot be in more than one place at a time. So when we demand that of our brain, we are stressing it to the max. Multitasking puts undue stress on us, which if we take that off and say, okay, I'm going to do one thing at a time, and even if you don't do it to completion, but you just do it to a stopping point where you're allowing 100% of your brain to be on one thing, oh my gosh, you'll save yourself so much stress and you'll be more productive and you'll get things right and your memory, your brain will be so much happier with you. If I didn't touch on meetings before uh -huh. uh, we parted ways, I'm sure our listeners would give me a hard time. So I wanted to ask you, what's the best way to manage meetings so that they're actually productive? Lots of things. Like we talked about with your day, planning for meetings is really, really Sending important. out an agenda, maybe? Yes. Sending out an agenda ahead of time so that if you are leading the meeting, you can have a good plan, but it also lets people know who are going to be attending, what they need to come prepared for, being timely, starting meetings on time, finishing meetings. I am really a huge proponent of finishing meetings early so that for those people we talked earlier who have those meetings back to back to back, Yeah. start a new trend. Hour-long meetings, finish them up in 50 minutes so that people have that chunk of time to make that transition, to figure, go back to their offices, deal with their action items, 
But a lot of times people think, well, we've got this meeting scheduled for an hour on everybody's calendar, so we can just coast through it till that hour's up. You know, if you can get your stuff done in half an hour, do it and send everybody out the door. There's no bigger gift to anyone than finishing a meeting early, which brings up another thought. How many meetings do we all have on our calendars that are recurring meetings? They're on there whether it's weekly, whether it's monthly, and sometimes those meetings come around and there's nothing, there's no reason to have a meeting. But because it's recurring on the calendar, everybody gets together anyway and you sit down and you shoot the breeze. It's like, we don't really need this. If you don't need it, cancel it. We talked earlier about planning time specifically for productivity purposes. I'm curious if you also plan out personal time. Yes, big time. Hmm. Um, especially time out. I really think having time out is important. And whether it's a day, a vacation, a weekend away, being able to put that on the calendar, planning ahead, especially if you've got busy families, to be able to pull out your calendars and say, okay, let's put a couple of things during the year or something a month or putting a date night on a regular basis on your calendar. Because so often in our busy world, if we don't put that stuff on our calendars, it doesn't happen. And it's really, really important for how we balance our life and our work to mm. having that family time, having the time with people that are important to you to make it a priority and get it on your calendar on a daily basis. I also think it's really important as you make your plan for the day at work, what are the things that you need to do in your personal life so that you're charged, whether it's exercising, whether it's family time, whether it's time walking your dog, whether it's time doing some of your volunteer activities, but putting that on your calendar so that, again, having that plan gives you that roadmap. You're not just willy-nilly so that when you get off of work, you don't say, ah, I made it, which is good to do. Have that sigh and relax for a little bit, but then, okay, what's important to me that I really want to do? Oh, I want to get out for that run, or I need to go to my kid's soccer game or whatever that is so that that can be planned in your day and you know you have that organized so that it can happen. There's not the surprises because those happen too in our personal lives. If people aren't doing the planning as you're suggesting and they're really curious where their time's actually going, do you ever recommend people track their time at least for a couple days or, or maybe every day? to just recognize where their time's going in, in certain categories? That's a really interesting question. I just had somebody do that. And hmm. it is an eye-opening oh, experience. Yeah. So yes, for people who think, I get to the end of the day and what did I do? It's a pain to do. Yes, but, you know, just create a document in 10-minute, 15-minute increments. Print it out and just start filling it in. It is amazing to see how time just goes away or goes away on things that aren't really important. So yes, if, if you're intrigued, want to know where the time in your day goes, I promise you do it for two, three days. You'll It's a, an eye-opening activity. I got a couple more questions for you yeah. and then I'll, I'll let you go. Okay. This is a, a humongous question because I fight this daily. Procrastination. <laughs> what can I do to fight this? First of all, knowing that you tend to procrastinate is 
huge. Just having that awareness is really big. And then we talked about the approach of having three musts as your priorities for the day. One of the things I try and do when I create my three musts is look at those three things and say, okay, which of these three things am I least excited about doing? And I'll peg that for the first one I knock off my list. Because then it's like when you do the one that you really don't want to do, it feels so good to get done. And then you could just fly through the rest of the day because you've gotten something done that thought was going to be horrendous. A couple other things is to figure out in different situations why you're procrastinating because procrastination happens for so many different reasons. Sometimes something we don't like doing. Sometimes we don't have the information we need. We don't have clarification on what we're doing. So figure out why it is. If you need more info, get it. If it's a matter of just dragging your feet, pull out your calendar, set a time to do it. Oftentimes, it's because we have something that's so big that we don't really know where to start, so it's easier just to put it off. So being able to say, okay, I'm going to break this down into little, into steps and saying, okay, I'm just going to take the first one. And when we can see it in multiple steps or even mini projects, it's so much more achievable. And then doing what it takes, if it means setting a time on your calendar, making an appointment for yourself to do it, do it. And half the time when we procrastinate, we put stuff off for so long that it just has snowballed and it's really not that big so that when you get it done, it's like, that wasn't such a big deal. A couple of months back, I think late last year, I, re- I read a book called The Productivity Project. I uh-huh. you're familiar with uh-huh. it, but... I thought it was interesting because it was a compilation of a lot of different time management tips and tricks. Uh-huh. But what I found actually more interesting is how the author weaved in a lot of kind of life hacking things about how to maximize your energy and know when your peaks and valleys are. And you talked about food intake, exercise, movement, and those sort of things. I know you talk a little bit about this and maybe a lot about it in your workshops. What have you known to kind of maximize your energy throughout the day so that you're very laser focused when you're trying to manage your time and actually be productive? Well, you said a number of things right there, Brandon. There's so many things that affect our being able to focus throughout the day. Taking care of ourselves is the bottom line. Are we getting enough sleep? Are we exercising regularly? Are we taking breaks? Breaks are huge during the day, and so often people put their heads down and don't come up for air. We've got to be kind to ourselves and take breaks, whether that's going out for a little walk, whether that's maybe reading a book for a few minutes, just doing something to disengage our minds. Eating is another thing, really eating well when you're at work, when you're not at work, eating the right foods during the day so that at lunchtime you don't go out for a huge double Big Mac. I don't even know what they are anymore because I don't eat them, but <laughs> you come back and it's so you sit down at your desk it's like, oh, all I want to do is take a nap, sleep. right? Yeah. Eating well throughout the day as well as just overall. And then just being aware of your energy. When you're feeling like you're going to start dragging, take a break, take a little walk. There's a woman that I work with who part of her routine during her day, she actually sets her clock, her alarm on her phone. And every hour she takes a break, she goes and walks the three flights of stairs in her office building, comes back and dives back in. So it re-energizes her, gives her that break, and she's good to go. 
All right, Bethany, I want to give you last word. Anything else that we missed that you want to touch on, uh, your website, any, anything you want to drive people to so they can learn more about what you're doing? My website's a great resource. It's www.simplifynw, like northwest.com. There's all kinds of information there about courses that I teach, webinars that we offer, some products in our store that if anybody's interested, they're there. If anybody has a question, there's a place to contact me there as well. As well as on the homepage, we offer a a monthly newsletter that has productivity-related articles. Feel free to jump on that, send it in. We'll send you a great article when you sign up called Six Easy Steps to Simplify Your Life. Would love to have you join us. But feel free to contact me if you have any questions. Would love to be a resource. Beth Ann Chronic, thank you so much for joining the podcast. This is a really fun discussion. I know people are going to get a lot of value from this. Awesome. Brandon, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.